0: how could they do this to me we used to be best friends I don't deserve this he gave up everything he wasted it all I wish he never came back What is up, Northridge Church? I hope everybody's doing well. You had a great weekend. I want to welcome you to Northridge Church. No matter where you're joining us from, whether it's our Webster location, our Rochester location, or our online location, thanks for being here. And I want to say welcome home. And I use those words really strategically and intentionally. you hear our staff and myself use them. You see signs, and, and that's really our desire for this church is that it would feel like home, like a family, that no matter who you are, what you look like, where you came from, that you would be welcomed, cared for, and valued, and together, as a family, we would grow together in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and so thanks for being here at Northridge Church. We're honored to have you, and I want to make a big ask, and and I know this this might be, you know, maybe stretching, but we have an 8 a.m. service, and uh, it's it's pretty awesome. You should check it out sometime, you know what I'm saying, and make some room. Our 9.30 and our 11 o'clock services, a lot of times we have people in overflow, and so if you don't have kids and and you don't mind getting up early, you know. Grab a bagel on your way in, and come to our 8 AM service to create some space for our 9:30 and our 11. As guests come, and as people continue to come back, uh, it's unique times. It's weird. It's it's awkward. But we're trying to do the best we can as a church. And so, if you would do that, let me thank you in advance. If you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 15 is where we are going to find ourselves. We started a brand new series last week called "A Tale of Two Brothers." And what we did is we're doing this deep dive into one chapter in the Bible, and, and we see at the beginning, Jesus is telling this story to two really polar opposite groups of people. You have the pagans, the, the, the sinners and the tax collectors who are loving Jesus, and then you have on the opposite side of the crowd, the religious, the, 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 the Pharisees, and they come with an attitude judging the other people in the audience, and so Jesus has this really difficult task. He's got to somehow craft this story that, that welcomes people who are far from God into the family of God, while yet still penetrating and convicting the attitude of the religious people. And he does it through telling three stories. We're looking at one of them called what we've called the prodigal son, but really the prodigal sons because there's two sons in the story and we've often missed small details that make this passage become more clear to us. And as we look at the story, there's this younger rebellious son who takes his inheritance from his father early and he goes and blows it. He parties it up, he lives it up, and eventually he hits rock bottom. And he comes to back to his dad. His dad embraces him with open arms. He celebrates that his son has come home. And the older brother in the fields working, being obedient, is ticked. He's mad because how could you celebrate the son who blew everything you just gave him? That's the story. What's 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 kind of crazy about the story is you got two brothers. They, they choose totally different routes in life. They, they look completely different, but yet they find themselves in the exact same location. And as we dig deeper into the story, here's what I think we're going to recognize is the brothers made different choices, but they struggled with the same condition. You know, the more we, we dive deeper into their stories, we will realize that although their paths, their journeys are radically different, they both had the same heart condition. And I think what we will realize is although their paths feel different, maybe they're a little more similar than what we see when we first read the story. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 15, verse 12. It starts here with the younger brother. It says, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the son got together all he had. He set off to a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so here we have this younger brother. Why is it always the younger ones that are getting into trouble? That's what I want to know. This younger brother. And from our perspective, looking at this story, I would like to call this, this the bad brother. Because isn't that what we would label him? I mean, this is, this is in the family. This is the, the kid who is always disobeying mom and dad, who's always trying to, to buck the rules. Every family has one of these. One of those kids that just, you know, just never listens to mom and dad. This is the bad brother, and he, he rebels against his dad. He's disrespectful to his dad. He takes his inheritance early, and he leaves. And as we look at this younger brother, this bad brother, this rebellious brother's story, I want to start by asking this question, Why? Why does he choose to do this? Why does he make this bold and reckless decision to disrespect his father and alienate himself from his dad? Why would he do that? And I would suggest that this younger brother is searching for something. Ultimately, what he's searching for is his identity. He's trying to discover who he is and where he belongs in life. And yet I would, I would bet that maybe some of us are on that same journey. We might be young or we might be old. We might be trying to rediscover who we are. And what he does is he just alienates himself from his dad. Dad, I don't need you in this journey to figure out what type of man I'm going to be and who I'm going to become. And so he's searching for that identity. And it's almost like the Amish. My father-in-law, his name is Jim, uh, Ashley's dad. He is a farm nutritionist. He works with farmers all around the Lancaster region, and he creates rations for feed for the animals, and he, he builds these rations to develop the, in these cows to produce the most milk that they can. And he works a lot with the Amish, and if you're not familiar with the Amish, they live different lives than we do. The horse and the buggy kind of give it away, right? And so what's interesting about the Amish culture is when a, around a teenager, 16 to 18 years old, a young woman or a young man go through this thing called rumspringa. And what it is is, is they leave everything their mom and dad have taught them, the culture, the traditions of the way they live their life, and they go to, go to experience the culture for what it is. They get to live it up and however they want to experience life on their own apart from mom and dad. And there comes a point where they have to choose which life they're going to live. And it's much like this younger brother. he's, He's trying to pave his own way, discover who he is, but here's the problem with the route that he takes, is this rebellious brother's sin is public. All of his choices, all of his mistakes, all of his regret is on display for everybody to see. The dad had to see it, the older brother had to see it, and probably the town talked about it. I mean, can you believe this younger brother who would rebel against his father and go and spoil everything that he gave him? It was public. There was no getting around it. There was no hiding it. And eventually this younger brother, he hits rock bottom and he comes home and his dad welcomes him and he actually parties that he's come home. And this is where the older brother story starts. Luke 15, 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother, has come, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered to his, to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so here we get a a different vantage point of the story from the older brother, the obedient brother. I want to call him the good brother. Right? Because isn't, isn't this really what every parent dreams of? I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the throes of parenting. I have three children at home. And man, can I tell you, I just long for a son or a daughter like this, that always does the right thing, that says yes when I say to do it, that never asks the question, why, daddy? I'll tell you why, kid. I'll tell you. I mean, this is what we all want as, as moms and dads, as grandpas and grandmas, like this obedient child. Or at least that's what we think. This older brother does everything the right way. And my question is, again, why? Why does this brother choose not to just go with his other brother? Hey, I'll take what is mine. I'll I'll take the inheritance and let's go live it up together, bro. Why does he choose to stay and conform to everything his father wants? And what's interesting is I would actually suggest that the older brother is searching just like his younger brother and for the exact same thing, his identity. He just takes a different route to discover it. This older brother is looking and longing for his place in life, for acceptance, and he chooses to to discover that through obedience. But here's the difference between the two brothers. is the younger brother's sin and rebellion was out there for the world to see, it was public, but the religious brother's sin, it was disguised. It was camouflaged. Yo, I, I wore this shirt just for this moment. <laughs> Here's what's crazy about this older brother. is Here he thinks he's at home, he's obeying his dad, and he thinks that him and his dad are, are best buds, they're close, they could never be closer, and he doesn't even realize, because he's blinded to his choices, he's blinded to his apathy, that him and his dad are actually not even close at all. Because his sin is disguised. It's camouflaged. He can't even see it. And what looks like completely different journeys and paths are actually very similar. In fact, look what Timothy Keller says. He says, the brother's hearts and the two ways of life they represent are much more alike than they first appear. What did the younger son most want in life? He chaffed at having to partake of his family's assets under the father's supervision. He wanted to make his own decisions and have unfettered control of his portion of the wealth. How did he get that? He did it with a bold power play, a flagrant defiance of community standards, a declaration of complete independence. What did the older son most want? If we think about it, we realize he wanted the same thing as his brother. He was just as resentful of his father as the younger son. He too wanted the father's goods rather than the father himself. And so two unique stories, two different paths, but they end up in the same place. And when we study these two brothers, we recognize that their goal was actually the same. The goal of bro- both brothers was self-salvation. They went on this journey to discover who they were and where they fit in, and they wanted to do it all on their own. They didn't need the dad's help. And so they go on this journey in their own wisdom, in their own ability, in their own choices to figure out how they can, can understand who they are, where they fit, and the, the, the person that they want to become. And the paths to get there, the path to discover their identity look differently. The, the bad brother or the rebellious brother, he did it through self-discovery, where he tries to circumvent God or his dad by breaking his rules. And I would bet many of us, in the journey of trying to discover ourselves, we do the very same thing. We live in this rebellious manner. We don't want anybody, God or our father or moms and dads, to tell us what to do or who to become, and so we just rebel against those things and forge our own way. In fact, many of us teenagers, let me speak to you for a second, some of you today, you think mom and dad or God is actually holding you back from the life that you want to live and you can't wait to be like this younger son, to get out of mom and dad's house, to get away from God and and really decide who you are and what you want to be. And and this is what this younger son does. He, He tries to discover himself by breaking all the rules because he feels like his dad is actually keeping him from the joy and the happiness that he wants to experience. And so he just alienates himself from him and he breaks everything his dad taught him to be. But the good brother, the obedient brother, the religious brother took a different path. It was called moral conformity, where he tries to control God by keeping his rules. This version of self-salvation, we we view God as a vending machine, where we believe that if we build enough equity in, in, in the bank account, if we put enough coins in the machine of good deeds, we read our Bible, we pray, we go to church, we love our neighbor, we'll build up this equity, this, this, this bank account into the vending machine, where we have enough money or equity in there, where we can now push a button and say, hey God, I've been good, so therefore you should bless me. You owe this to me, God. This was the older brother, right? He looks at his dad and he's like, hey, dad, I've obeyed you all my life and yet you've never once celebrated me. How could you, dad? Because you owe me. In fact, this is what Keller says about moral people. He says religious people commonly live very moral lives, but their goal is to get leverage over God, to control him, to put him in a position where they think he owes So different paths, moral conformity and rebellion, self-discovery, but what's crazy and fascinating and mind-blowing and shocking is both these paths, although they're different, they end up in the exact same location. Both brothers find themselves with the exact same problem. They are alienated from their dad, their father. That's crazy to think about. That, man, you can take different routes in life and still find yourself in the exact same place. The dad that they desperately need, they are far from. And I love what Keller says in his book. He says, do you realize then what Jesus is teaching? Now, remember, we have to pull ourselves back out of this story. Remember, the context is Jesus is teaching a crowd that is polar opposite, a part of the crowd that you and I can relate to, whether it's the religious people or it's the Pharisees or the sinners, we can relate to them. And so Jesus is trying to teach this crowd something, and he's trying to teach you and I something today. He says, do you then realize what Jesus is teaching? Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. Now let's lean in here. Don't miss this. It says, this means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him by either breaking his rules or keeping them all diligently. I don't know about you, but that scares me to death. It shocks me. Because I can actually, in life, choose to just be rebellious towards God. I can choose to, hey, you know what, God, I don't really care what you have to say about life. I'm just gonna forge my own way and live the way I want to. And that makes sense to all of us. Anybody who lives that way, we would expect to be alienated, to be distant from God. It's obvious. But what's shocking is the very same person or a different person can actually follow all of God's rules. They can go to church, they can look good, they can read their Bible, they can pray, they can do all the religious check the box things and still actually find themselves in the exact same place as the rebellious person. Can you imagine how shocking that was for the Pharisees to hear? Their whole life was built around following the law, all of God's standards. That's how they believed they achieved God to accept them and love them. And for Jesus to say, you can follow all the rules and still miss out on the most important thing, a relationship with your Savior, and be in the same place as the rebellious son. Even for us as Christians, that shocks us, doesn't it? Because how often do we find ourselves judging people who are far from God, living however they want in our community, in our culture, and not realizing so many times we are actually in the same spot as they are? Shocking and scary. And and, and the reality is, is if, if this is true, if that's true, if I can pick either path and still be alienated from God, if that's true and we all can relate to both brothers, the question we all should ask is, how in the world do I get back to my dad? How in the world do I get back to this beautiful and intimate relationship with my heavenly father? And I kind of want to wind down here, really start the journey. We're going to finish it up next week, but how do we begin the process as a religious person who does a lot of good or a rebellious person who's, who, who's alienated from God? How do we both get back to God? And I want to start by speaking to those of you, and I think this is probably the majority of us, who relate to the older brother. Right, we grew up in church, we read our Bibles, mom and dad taught us to, like it's been a history of generation after generation, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and, and you know what, that's you, you relate to the older brother who, who does all the right things, but you wonder if you're really connecting with God. And I want to warn you up front, if you find yourself living in, in this religious way, I want to warn you that being religious is dangerous. Being religious can be very, very dangerous if you're just choosing to come to church out of obligation, if you're just choosing to read your Bible or to pray or to love your neighbor because you're demanded to, you're obligated to, you're missing the point. Because religion can be scary. Because you know what religion does is it blinds you to your spiritual condition. Religion says you are good when God says, no, 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 you're far from me. The the, the son, this older son, thought him and his dad had this intimate relationship. He thought he was doing everything he was supposed to, and yet he doesn't even realize that his dad is so far away from him. And how many of us is that today? We check the box of church. Check the box of religion. We do all the things we're supposed to, and yet when it comes to me and God, there's distance. I don't sense his presence anymore. I don't feel him. And maybe it's because you've been so religious and that religion has blinded you to that you're far from your father. And here's what should scare us all more than anything else is the ending of the story. You see, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we never get to the ending of the story. We're too busy focusing on the rebellious son. How could he? Wow, what a beautiful story. He came back. Let's celebrate. But the ending of the story is shocking. Because guess what happens? The religious brother isn't reconciled to his dad. The rebellious one is. In fact, let me read to you what Timothy Keller says. This is so good. He says, "Although although the sons are both wrong and both loved, the story does not end the same, on the same note for each. Why does Jesus construct this, that, that, the Jesus construct story so that one of them is saved, restored to a right relationship with the Father, and one of them is not? It may be that Jesus is trying to say that while both forms of the self-salvation project are equally wrong, each one is not equally dangerous. One of the ironies of the parable is now revealed. The younger son's flight from the father was crashingly obvious. He left the father literally, physically, morally. Though the older son stayed at home, he was actually more distant and alienated from the father than his brother. Why? Because he was blind to his true condition. Because the elder brother is more blind to to what is going on being an elder brother pharisee is a more spiritually desperate condition because religion is dangerous following god out of obligation is dangerous can i tell you in my marriage my wife knows when i'm faking it it sucks (laughs) but she knows when i buy her flowers because i'm supposed to rather than when i just and madly in love with her. She knows when I say I love you because it's what I'm supposed to say as a husband, and when I look her in the eyes and I really mean those words. Can I tell you the truth is this the same as true for God? He knows when you're showing up to church or reading your Bible or praying or doing whatever it is that a good Christian would, and you're just doing it because that's what your mom and dad told you to do, or that's what you're supposed to do, rather than, man, I get to walk and be in this beautiful relationship with my Savior. And what we have to recognize is religion is dangerous and good will never be good enough. Good will never, ever be good enough. Your good will never make it. It will never achieve to what you want. I'm gonna say something shocking. It will send sound waves down your religious spine. But it's true. God is not after your goodness. I know it, all us people who grew up in church, like, what did the pastor just say? No, it's true. God doesn't want some army of, of moral saviors who looked the part, but yet lack the most important thing, and that's a relationship with Jesus. But yet, so many of us, we fall into that trap over and over again of religion because we try to be good. Can I tell you, you'll never be good enough to make it. But the good news is, you don't have to be. If you're trying to live a religious life, let me, let me take the pressure off your shoulders. The pressure of trying to achieve something you can't, the pressure of trying to look the part, God doesn't want that from you because he's already earned it for you on the cross where he was good enough and his righteousness paid the price and the penalty that you couldn't and because of his righteousness, you are deemed good enough. So the pressure's off. You don't have to worry about religion or looking like the perfect Christian. God's already taken care of it for you. So just follow him, walk with him know him. That's what he wants from you. But maybe you're not the older brother. Maybe you don't find yourself in this religious state of mind. Maybe you're actually the more rebellious person. Right? Where Just honestly, you would maybe never tell anybody this, but you just really don't care what God says. You don't care what God's standards are for your life. You don't care what his word says. You kind of just want to live life your own way apart from God. And maybe you're there right now where you are walking in this journey and it feels really good. You're, you're free from religion. You're, you're free from all the Christians in your life. You're, you're free and you can kind of live however you want and it feels great right now. But let me warn you, and I think this story is a warning for any of the rebellious types that it might feel good now. It might be fun now, but eventually that path will be really lonely. It will leave you empty and it will come a point, it might be years from now, where you actually desperately need the God that you're running from. You'll hit rock bottom and you'll realize the only one who can save you is that God. But here's the problem, just like this rebellious son, this younger son, you'll get to that place in life and you'll look at your life and you'll realize it's full of regret. Full of choices, sinful choices that you wish you never chose. And you'll wonder, just like this younger son, will my dad, will God actually take me back knowing where I've been and what I've done? Some of you feel that right now, right? You've made some really poor choices in life. They haunt you. And you want to have a relationship with God, but you wonder if God will actually have a relationship with you knowing what you've done. And I love this story because what it, it tells every rebel in the house, and we're all rebels at some point in our life, that God loves you despite all you've done. This is the shocking news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God accepts anyone into his family. Anyone. Criminals. Abusers. The people who have done the worst of things. God, through a relationship with him, welcomes even those people into his family. And for all of us religious people, we we thumb our nose at that. We're like, how could God love that person? Like, do you realize what he did? Yeah, God does. And what we often forget as religious people is we fail to realize we were actually that rebel once. But thank God for his love and his work on the cross that saved a rebel like me and a rebel like you and brought us into his family. And what I love about the ending of the story is, is it, it reveals to us that there's nothing you could do. There's no sin too great that God can't conquer in your life. You can't be void of God's love because it will always be there. The moment that rebel turned his head and he came back home, guess who was waiting for him? His dad. And Today, if you turn your head, no matter who you are, you, you turn your life around and you go to God, he's waiting for you because the response of both brothers is the same. They found themselves in the same location. And guess what both brothers need to do? They need to return to their father. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to to take that step, no matter where you are. So if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, I, I don't know where you are in life right now. I don't even know which brother you relate to more. Maybe today you find yourself more religious. You follow God, and you go to church, and you read your Bible because it's what you're supposed to do. It's, you're obligated to it. Or maybe today, you're the rebel. You don't even know why you're in church or listening online, but for some reason you are. And I think for, for anyone today who wants to come back to their dad, who wants to come back to the father, I think it's as simple as saying these words. No matter where you find yourself, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for my apathy and my religion that has caused me to be distant from you. God, forgive me for my rebellion, for my choice to just alienate myself from you, to live in my own way. And God, I pray today that I would draw close to you. And maybe for you today, it's that first time where you step into a relationship with Jesus where you realize that he's not after you to look the part. He just wants you to know him, to, to receive his love, to believe that he conquered your sin on that cross and he gave you the victory through his resurrection. And so you don't need to look apart. You just need to step into a relationship with the loving God who will guide you and direct you in your life. Or maybe for you today, it's, You have that relationship, but yet, if you're honest, you've been distant with God. Sure, you've looked good from a religious standpoint, but really, if you're honest, you look at God and you're like, man, how how did we get here? Why are you so distant? Why can't I feel your presence, God? And maybe today it's a simple, God, forgive me for my apathy, and God, I'm drawing close to you. Will you draw close to me? May we get back to that relationship we once had where I was on fire for you, where I didn't do things out of obligation, but I did them because I loved you and I couldn't get enough of you. And I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know what prayer you just prayed, but I just encourage you to to let us know. If you said that prayer for the first time or you said that prayer to come back to God and you have a relationship with him, man, let us know. And the simplest way for you to do that is just to go to a website called iwant.info. And there's a big banner there that says, for any of you who said that prayer for the first time, it says, I, I want a relationship with Jesus. And if you would just hit that banner, give us your contact information, and we'll surround you with people, mentors, who will walk with you through the difficult times in, 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 in following Jesus. We'll teach you, and we'll love you, and we'll pray for you. Or maybe you made that decision to just draw closer to God. You feel distant from Him. Would you let us know so we, as a church, as a staff, as a leadership team, can pray for you? to hold you accountable to getting back to that relationship with Jesus. Will you pray with me, God? Thank you. Thank you that no matter how far we run, you're always right there waiting for us to celebrate with us. And God, I pray for the person who said yes to you for the very first time. God, I pray that you would encourage them, that you'd surround them with people who can guide and direct them. And God, I pray for for the Christian today, the follower of Jesus today who has become distant. I pray today would be the journey of them returning to you, God, that it wouldn't be about religion or a standard to follow or rules to follow, but it would be about walking in this relationship with you. Thank you for your word written thousands of years ago, and yet it still penetrates our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.